Good morning, and welcome to Inspirational Worship at Lover's Lane United Methodist Church, where all are welcome. As always, we welcome you to worship with us in person at 815, 930, or 11 a.m. at Lover's Lane United Methodist Church. In fact, it's not too late for you to join us today. We are located at the corner of Northwest Highway and Inwood Road at 9200 Inwood Road, Dallas, Texas. So won't you come and join us today? You would honor us with your presence. But for now, let's enjoy this message together with Senior Pastor Dr. Stan Copeland. Today we're concluding our sermon series that we entitled Pursued. And this sermon series has been about, will be today also, our relationship with God or how God relates to us. And we've been particularly lifting up some um, uh, uniqueness within our own Methodist theology and uh, the contribution that our denomination has made to the greater uh, theological world. Last Sunday we talked about how God pursues us uh, through a luring or a drawing that we call prevenient grace, that God's moving in our hearts, moving us uh, toward making those choices for, um, for Him. We focused on the verse uh, that Jesus is recorded to have said in John's Gospel, no one can come to me unless drawn by the Father who sent me. So God draws us to Himself. You know, our sacraments also uplift this prevenient grace, don't they? Our, our Holy Communion, when we gather, it's communion and the lifting up of the, the body and the blood of Christ that draws us to that table of forgiveness and the love of God that's extended to all people. And also baptism. Uh, that's in part why we baptize infants as well as adults, that God's grace is offered before we ever choose God or whether or not we ever choose God. God's grace is offered to us, and that's what baptism is about. Baptism symbolizes God's first love of us. Uh, and in our tradition, not our belief, but God's action, God's first love of us. And today we're going to be talking about Christian perfection, which is another strong Methodist theological contribution. Sometimes we refer to Christian perfection as sanctification or the salvation process of sanctification. So we have these three aspects of grace that we've touched on through the 139th Psalm. One is that prevenient grace or God luring us toward choosing salvation or Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of our life. And we talk about justifying grace, which is, which is our faith when we come to that point that we choose God, prompted by the Holy Spirit. We say yes to God who's always said yes to us. And then we have the sanctifying grace. This is that lifelong process of maturing us in God's love so that we become more loving of God, more loving of neighbor, that we're growing in the faith due to our yielding to the Holy Spirit working in us and we become more Christ-like. That's our goal. Now the luring of God continues as God desires for us uh, to love as Jesus loved, to love God, to love neighbor as Jesus loved. Bishop Ken Carter, in his book um, about United Methodists that's called, Who Are We?, 
said this, through God's sanctifying grace, we grow and mature in our ability to live as Jesus lived. We're to press on with God's help through the power of the Holy Spirit in the path of sanctification toward perfection. Now, by perfection, Wesley did not mean that we would not make mistakes or not have weaknesses. Aren't you glad about that? Rather, Wesley understood it to be a continual process of the Holy Spirit working in us to make us perfected in God's love through us, moving us away from a desire to sin. Now today I want to ask us a question to kind of set the stage. And the question is, how do you live the Christian life? How do you live as a Christian? A preacher named James Merritt made this statement. The average Christian knows far more about how to become a Christian than how to be one. The average Christian will say, I'm trying to live the Christian life the best way I know how. When a Christian makes that statement, I can automatically tell them they're probably not doing a very good job of it. Now, I pastored a church in Tyler before coming here. I pastored uh, a church for five years there in Tyler. And every single Sunday, a man came out of church. He had no excuse for not being in church because he lived literally across the street. But every single Sunday for five years, Jack came out of church and he would wait to shake my hand. And when he shook my hand, he would say, that was a really good sermon, preacher. I'm going to try to do better next week. Every week he said that. Over and over. That was a really good sermon, preacher. I'm going to try to do better next week. You know, I know he did it for effect. He thought it was cuter than I did. But I just wanted to say to Jack, Jack, you don't have a chance of doing better next week apart from the power of the Holy Spirit working in your life and you recognizing it's God's working in you. And, and you're supposed to be doing better every week, not because of you, Jack, but because of what the Holy Spirit is doing in you. Thank God I didn't say that because he wouldn't have appreciated it. But he really needed to hear it. It's not about the effect. It's not about what we do. It's not about how good we can be. It's about how we yield to the goodness of God working in us and through us. I'd like for us to turn to the 139th Psalm and the last part of this Psalm. I want us to begin reading with the 19th verse, so let's stand for the reading of God's Word. that you would kill the wicked, O God, and that the bloodthirsty would depart from me. Those who speak of you maliciously and lift themselves up against you for evil. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? 
And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with a perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. And now here are these verses that lean toward perfection. But search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I'd like to read one more passage of Scripture from Galatians, the, tw- the second chapter, beginning with the 15th verse. I think this is a complimentary passage related to Christian perfection. Paul said, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is justified not by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And we have come to believe in Christ Jesus so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by doing the works of the law. Because no one will be justified by the works of the law. But if in our effort to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have been found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant to sin? Certainly not. But if I build up again the very things that I once tore down, then demonstrate that I am a transgressor, for through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. Now hear these verses on perfection. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You know, the single verse that is probably the most comprehensive, compact, complete description of the Christian life in the Bible is Galatians 2, 20. The verse says, I have been crucified with Christ. In other words, two people have to die in order for you to become a Christian. Christ died for you and you have to die to you. So that Christ, the resurrected living Lord, can live in you and through you and be about those things that bring life and even abundant life. We become Christians by accepting by faith God's justifying grace in Jesus. But to be a Christian is an experience of our own death. Death to our own carnal desires, death to our own self and selfish needs. And, and, and that being crucified, we are raised to the level of Christ, his love for God and love for neighbor. Now, I know that dying to self is extremely hard, and it's not something you do once and for all. It's something that the Holy Spirit leads you to do over and over and over again. Or at least that's my experience. I heard about a mother who was preparing some pancakes for her two little boys. 
This shows the difficulty of, of dying to self. Her son Ryan was five. Her son Kevin was three. And the boys began to argue over who got the first pancake. And the mother saw the boys were beginning to argue. And so she saw this as an opportunity for a good Christian lesson. So she said to the boys, now, boys, if Jesus were sitting here right now, he would say, let my brother have the first pancake. I can wait. To which Ryan, the five-year-old, turned to his little brother and said, hey, I've got a great idea, Kevin. Let's play Jesus. You be Jesus. You know, it's hard to die to self, isn't it? We, we have these own take-care-of-yourself instincts that, that just come out. These number one uh, kind of attitudes about who we are. And yet, the Christian life is born in this understanding of death and a rebirth that goes on in us when our value systems are reordered and put into a different perspective. Paul, in writing to the Corinthians, in the second Corinthians, the fifth chapter, the 17th verse said, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. The psalmist said it, Lord, search me, O God. And know my heart. Test me. Know my thoughts. See if there is any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Now isn't that intimidating? To be praying to God to, to not only know your ways but to know your thoughts. And, and yet we can trust our ways and our thoughts to a God who knows us as his children, who loves us even though, and who wants to get us to that better place, that way of everlasting life, abundant living. And in Galatians, it is no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. The old you no longer lives, according to Paul in his writing in Galatians. We've been crucified with Christ. But the new you has been raised in Christ. So now we are beginning to learn what it means to be a Christian is dying to self so that the resurrected Lord, the living Lord, can live in and through us and can love in and through us. A great Bible teacher named A.W. Tozer put it this way. A real Christian is an odd number anyway. He feels supremely, supreme love for one who he has never seen, talks in a familiar way every day to someone he cannot see, expects to go to heaven on the virtue of another, empties himself in order to be full, admits he is wrong so that he can be declared right, goes down in order to get up, is strongest when he is weakest, richest when he is poorest, and happiest when he feels the worst. He dies so he can live, forsakes in order to have, 
gives away so that he can keep, sees the invisible, hears the inaudible, and knows that which passes understanding. You see, in a sense, the Christian is both dead and alive at the same time. I love that quote. You know, there are four words in this text that really tell us what the Christian life is all about. And those words are, Christ lives in me. Christ lives in me. You see, the first discovery of a Christian needs, a Christian needs to make, as soon as one becomes a Christian, is that she or he cannot live the Christian life. It is Christ living in you that allows us to live the Christian life. You see, the Christian life is not your responsibility. It is your response to God's ability. It's our yielding to the love of God in us that comes through. That's the Christian life. Martin Luther once said, When someone knocks at the door of my heart, I open it and they say, Who lives here? I answer, Jesus Christ lives here. Inevitably, they say, I thought Martin Luther lived here. To which I say, Martin Luther used to live here, but he died. Jesus Christ lives here now. That's it. A Christian is not the old person trying to live his best for Jesus Christ. Christian is not one who says, I'm going to try to do better next week. The Christian life is when we yield to the, to, to the one who came and lives in us so that we can love beyond our own ability with God's ability. Have you ever brushed up against Christian perfection? Have you ever been... Um, impacted, if you will, by Christian perfection. Now, I'm not talking about people who are perfect. I'm talking about the perfect love of God that comes through people. That's different. You know, we've had a tragedy in our life, our family's life, in the last few uh, weeks. Our, our family lost a home to fire, my mom and dad in their 80s. And, and then we're reminded of how many families on the, in the Gulf Coast have lost homes, lost everything. But you know, the blessing that I have seen in the last few weeks is that the perfect love of God has come through people in ways that just make you sit back and say, it's God's grace. What a gift. You know, I took a picture of my mother a few days ago. She was in this beautiful outfit. She felt so good. She looked so pretty, I might add. And that outfit was bought by someone in this room right now, along with really a, a literal wardrobe. That sweet sister got my mother's sizes, and she bought her the clothes that she loves because she had none. 
And I said, that is the love of God in Jesus Christ coming out through one who reached out in a selfless way. And mom was standing there in that picture with this beautiful uh, string of pearls that came in the mail just the day before from Elaine Dancer. Do you know Elaine Dancer? Well, Elaine Dancer, she used to sit about right there. She's moved to Arizona. She'll never see my mother again, probably. But she had this beautiful string of pearls, beautiful. And she sent to mom. And, you know, I can just imagine Elaine, knowing Elaine and knowing how sensitive Elaine is to the movement of the Holy Spirit, I can imagine Elaine saying, well, these are beautiful pearls, and my, my husband Dudley gave me these pearls, but, but Jesus wants me to give them to Martha. That's the perfect love of God shining through. And, and, you know, every meal my parents have eaten since that fire, every meal has been provided by some angel in my little hometown. I don't know how they put the list together. I don't know who organized it. I don't know how it gets done. I just know that there is a different family bringing food. My parents aren't needy. They don't need that. They've got plenty of money. But to receive those gifts of grace is beyond valuable. It's the very presence of Christ that is being shown in so many ways. You know, when we face a tragedy in the church, when we face something that we would hope would never happen, whether it's a diagnosis with a terrible prognosis, whether you know, it's, it's some circumstance of loss related to a relationship or, or loss related to a home, we just need to be ready. Because God's grace will come to us in human form. His perfect love will come to us in ways that otherwise we might not get it. That's what the Christian life is about. I hope today that you're inspired to yield to the Holy Spirit, who's going to be talking to you every day anyway, to do something beyond your own will who causes you to make a choice that otherwise you might not were it not for God speaking to you. You know, Paul finishes by saying, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, loved me, and gave himself up for me. Paul says two things about living here. He talks about the life that lives in the flesh. Even Christians live in the flesh. No one here hearing me this morning um, should hear that I'm expecting you to be perfect, therefore without sin or never making mistakes. I know you better than that, and you know me better than that. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to mess up. We're not going to be perfect in the flesh. But by way of the Spirit, as we yield to God's perfect love working through us, we are going to do things beyond the flesh. We're going to do things beyond our own ability. We're going to do things in keeping with the very Spirit of God loving through us. That's Christian perfection as we become more and more mature and we yield to God more and more in our lives and we see Christ becoming more and more 
realized and revealing to others. You see, the world not only lives in the flesh, it lives by the flesh. And this is the world look out for number one, eat, drink, and be merry, grab with all the gusto, so on and so forth. But on the other hand, the Christian lives by faith. And as you think about it, he has to because the entire Christian life is lived by faith. You were saved by faith, you stand by faith, you serve by faith, you see by faith. Someone said the life that Jesus lived qualified him for the death that he died. And the death that he died qualifies us for the life that he lived. So you can boil Christianity down to one single simple sentence. Jesus gave his life for me in order to take my life from me so that I could live his life in me. I close with this story. I heard of a man who was walking along a seaside cliff in the darkness. He thought he knew the path, but the path eventually had fallen away to erosion and he stepped over the cliff into the darkness and he was falling and he found an overhanging limb that he grabbed hold of. It caught him and he caught it and he was hanging literally by his hands dangling there in midair. He began to scream at the top of his voice for help, but no one could hear him. His hands began to get weak. His palms clammy. His fingers began to ache. He was saying to himself, I've just got to hold on. I've just got to hold on. I can't fall. And beneath him, he could hear the roaring waves and he could see in his mind's eye the rugged rocks down below. But finally, his strength was gone. His fingers relaxed the grip. And he slipped and he fell 12 inches to the rock below. A ledge that was there that saved his life. There all the time. You know, there are many people who know the need to go out and whip the world to do all that we can to save our own lives. But when we become exhausted by trying so hard and getting beat up with our own shame and guilt, then we realize the solution is right at our feet. It's the very rock of ages about which we sing. Rock of ages cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flow me of sin the double cure 
Save from wrath and make me pure. We can't make ourselves pure. But we can yield to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that desires that we be crucified to self. And that we be raised in the new life of Jesus. The rock of ages. That we, all of us, must stand on. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today for inspirational worship at Lover's Lane United Methodist Church. We invite you to tune in each week at 930 on this great station. As always, we welcome you to worship with us in person each Sunday morning at 815, 930, or 11 a.m. We also invite you to our contemporary worship service that begins at 11 a.m. every Sunday morning at Lover's Lane United Methodist Church. Again, we're located at the corner of Northwest Highway and Inwood Road, Dallas, Texas. Or you can call us at 214-691-4721. For more information about our church and service times, go to www.llumc.org. That web address again is www.llumc.org. We'll be looking for you in person at Lover's Lane United Methodist Church next week. And remember, all are welcome here at Lover's Lane.